DW Africa Link It's time for yet another edition of DW's Africa Link bringing you the latest news from the African continent straight to wherever you're listening from right now. I'm your host Josie Mahaji. And I'm Isaac Mugabe. We are reaching you live on our Facebook page DW Africa and through our partner stations around the world. Tune in, share and comment. Here is what to expect on the program. Nigerians react after operatives of the Department of the State Services DSS arrests President of Headers Association Alaji Belo Bodejo over the creation of a vigilante group in Nasarawa State. So I believe that the security agencies will not just come and arrest him and uh, his arrest will not make a post threat for one reasons or another. And the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, says the United States is determined to remain a strong security partner for Nigeria. As I told the president and the foreign minister, the United States will support Nigeria as it works to bring about a more secure, a more peaceful and a more prosperous future for its people. We will also be updating you on the Afghan tournament, but for now, the world's news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyingi. A Russian military transport plane crashed in the Belgorod region in the south of the country, close to the border with Ukraine. The Russian officials said all the people on board, reportedly including 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war, were killed. The Russian foreign ministry has blamed Kyiv for downing the plane. DW's correspondent Nick Connelly, who is in Kyiv, with more. It's really important to stress that this is still a very unclear breaking news situation with lots of contradictory versions being voiced. Um, the Ukrainian side, for its part, we've only heard from one of the intelligence agencies saying that indeed an exchange of prisoners was planned for today. A worrying situation for Volodymyr Zelensky and probably the reason why we haven't heard anything yet. But even if it isn't these prisoners of war that have uh, you know, been killed as part of this downing of a plane. Um, it's still a very worrying situation for all the families of people affected and we understand the government is trying to reach out to those families to at least establish some lines of communication. D.W.'s Nick Connelly there in Kiev. Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban has expressed his government's support for Sweden's bid to join NATO. Orban said he had spoken to NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg and had urged the parliament in Budapest to ratify Sweden's accession. Hungary is now the only NATO member yet to agree officially to Sweden joining the alliance. But did Hungary's support for Sweden's NATO membership come as a surprise? Here is DW's Lucia Scholten in Brussels. It does in a way, because um, there has been a bit of mixed messaging going on um, with regards to Sweden's NATO membership by Viktor Orban uh, before. Um, he has been critical against Sweden um, because of critiques uh, against the rule of law in Hungary. And um, as I said, so this comes a bit as a surprise right now because of the things uh, or the, the invitation he just has mentioned yesterday. Uh, he just spoke out yesterday to um, the Swedish Prime Minister Christensen. DW's Lucia Scholten in Brussels. Russian President Vladimir Putin has said he's pleased Chad's President Mahamat Idris Deby has stabilized the country after Deby took power in a coup three years ago. The two presidents met in Moscow on Wednesday as Russia tries to boost its influence in Africa. Deby took power after his father was killed by rebels in 2010.
2021. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock has called for increased effort to find a negotiated solution to the power struggle in Sudan ahead of a visit to the region. Before her departure this Wednesday, Baerbock said that together with partners in East Africa, she wants to explore ways of, quote, finally getting the two generals who are enemies in Sudan to the negotiating table so that they do not drag the country into further chaos, end of quote. And the M23 rebel group has appointed its own administration in areas under its control in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, sparking concern that its plan that it plans to form a separate state. In a statement, M23 political leader Batada Bisimwe said the group has appointed an administration in North Kivu's Rushuru territory. He added that leaders for the towns of Kiwanja, Rubare and Bunagana towns also in North Kivu had been appointed as well. For more news and information, head on to our website, dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyingi. And you're listening to DW's Africa Link program with me, Isaac Mugabe. And my name is Josie Mahachi. Welcome to all of you on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We also appreciate everyone who's tuned in through all our partner stations across the continent. And all of you that we see are following us as well and listening to every edition of Africa Link on Spotify. We head to Nigeria where the leader of the headers associations in the country, Alaji Belo Bodejo, was arrested over the establishment of security outfit without the consent of Department of State Security Service and the police. Well, Bodejo was arrested uh, at a town a few kilometers to the capital city, Abuja. The arrest comes days after the inauguration of the Fulani security outfit in 36 states with over 4,000 men starting with at least more than 2,000 of them. Shao Salmanu has more. There is no doubt that security situation in Nigeria continues to call for precautionary measures for citizens to defend themselves against the activities of government due to the inability of conventional security agencies to protect the populace. Following the creation and inauguration of nomadic vigilante security outfit, Tension and mixed reactions have generated among Nigerians as president of the hardest association was arrested by security operatives. A resident, Malam Abdullahi El Kurebi, has reacted by saying, First of all, I think uh, if he did it outside the precinct of the law, yes, he violated the rules and uh, of course the agencies would have no alternative than to do their work by uh, arresting him to answer questions on why he did so. That is, an individual cannot establish a security outfit. Some concerned Nigerians call for diligent handling of the matter so that it will not incite violence nationwide. El Kurebi reacted again. There are security, private security outfits in the country, we all know. So why should they not be arrested, but he has been arrested? What are those steps they followed, which he did not follow? that he's being arrested and being questioned. So these are those things that we should look out, uh, look out for. As they arrest him, they should listen to him so that uh, people will know that, yes, uh, it is actually a right thing to do if it is. The security analyst believes that the leader will not be arrested for nothing. Rather, there may be other charges against the culprit. 
So I believe that the security agencies will not just come and arrest him, and uh, his arrest will not make pose threat for one reasons or another. And the reputation of Balabadejo has been in question. So probably there are a number of things that we still have to wait for the security to make a release or make a pronouncement. Uh, but I believe that uh, uh, the Nigerian intelligence are working hard to deal with whatever threats that may come off as a result of that. In recent years, the Christian Association of Nigeria can have been calling for Bello Badege's arrest over alleged inciting comments. Thank you so much, Shehu Salmanu, for that report. Remember, you can also tell us what you think about that particular report out of Nigeria on our Facebook page, DW Africa. And it's all about security matters uh, in Nigeria and the wider region. And that's why U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is still in Africa on a week-long tour of the Africa's West Coast with the primary objective of sustaining U.S. influence in the face of strong competition from Beijing and Moscow, coupled, of course, with escalating instability in the Sahel region. Now, despite President Joe Biden's unfulfilled promise to visit Africa in 2023, Blinken's tour comes at a time of evolving political landscape since his last visit to the region in March 2023. Blinken said the U.S. is determined to remain a strong security partner for Nigeria, whose military is backed by his country, of course, Britain and other allies in the long war against Islamist insurgents. The United States uh, is determined to be and remain a strong security partner for Nigeria. I want to extend the condolences of the American people to all Nigerians who were affected by the horrific attacks over the Christmas weekend. We mourn their loss and all killed in recent attacks, including, by the way, Staff from our United States mission, uh, locally employed staff and four police officers who were killed in Anambra uh, last May. As I told the president and the foreign minister, the United States will support Nigeria as it works to bring about a more secure, a more peaceful and a more prosperous future for its people. Blinken also said that he discussed how it is vitally important that there is focus on ensuring civilians are protected and humanitarian considerations, including challenges to democracy, corruption and security in the region. Nigeria offers real, clear, compelling opportunities for investors. At the same time, I think it's no secret that there remain some long-term challenges that need to be overcome to really unlock the full potential. Um, Tackling corruption, making it easier for foreign companies to repatriate capital, These will all pull in a transformative direction and pull in transformative uh, investment. Well, that press conference together with his Nigerian counterpart, Yusuf Tugal, wouldn't end without, of course, journalists asking the pertinent issue and current affairs story about Israel's war with Gaza or in Gaza. And Yusuf Tugal, the Nigeria's foreign minister, said there was commonality between their countries, that's Nigeria and the U.S., on a two-state solution for Palestine and Israel. Take a listen. The issue of Gaza is one that uh, President uh, Tinubu brought up during the course of the discussions, and it was... uh, uh, deliberated upon. It was uh, discussed extensively. The approach here is to focus on uh, the commonalities. So one thing we have in common, a common denominator between uh, the U.S. and Nigeria, is the fact that we both agree that the way forward is the two-state solution. 
After that comment by Nigerian Foreign Minister Yusuf Tuga, Blinken also added the United States was opposed to any permanent change to Gaza's territory but kept the door open to possible support for any in courts transitional arrangements to resolve the conflict with Israel. And with regard to, to Gaza, uh, we've been very clear um, our opposition to uh, the forced displacement uh, of people. We've been very clear about maintaining, in effect, the, the territorial integrity uh, of Gaza, which is what you've um, uh, alluded to, and a number of other critical uh, principles, uh, including Palestinian governance uh, of Gaza, uh, reunified with the, uh, with the West Bank, etc., and that was uh, U.S. Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken. You've been briefed about his tour, what he spoke, what he said, and what his com- country intends to do with Nigeria. And straight into your comments, we asked you how effective is this partnership between Nigeria and the U.S. amid such complex and multifaceted security challenges in the region. Josie, we have some interesting comments coming Yes. In. Ahmed Kamano says the instability of West Africa bears the hallmark of the Western world's goal to keep Africa under its firm grip. Think about this. Every rebellion in Africa has strong Western backing. Uh, Joy Ebenezer Alawode is wondering what kind of security are they talking about? He goes on to say, uh, gun laws are yet to be enforced in the U.S. and they want to help Nigeria to implement gun control policies or kidnappings or which one? Please, someone help me out there. Mm. And Ojuku Emeka, Isaac, has a very interesting comment here. He says, U.S. is yet to secure itself but it is in Nigeria to offer security. Interesting insights, as usual, always want to hear from you. There is a story that is coming in right now that I need to break before we go for a short interlude. It's about Zambia. For the second time, the country has postponed the opening or the reopening of schools because of the cholera outbreak. Uh, outbreak mm. That I mean, we reported about it in our previous editions here. Thousands of people have been affected, and that's why they are delays. Last week, uh, Zambia received uh, the first batch of medication from the World Health Organizations and also vaccines. And according to reports coming in, Jose, mm. it's estimated that 1.4 million people had received the vaccine. Okay. And we hope all goes well. We shall keep monitoring this story. We have our correspondents there. And yes, as usual, at Africa Link, we bring you the latest from Africa and the rest of the world. You are listening to Africa Link, broadcast from Monday to Friday. Our top story today, U.S. Secretary of State continues his tour of Africa. We also have the latest from AFCON. I'm Josie Mahachi. And uh, once again, my name is Isaac Mugabe. We appreciate everyone who's tuned in on our Facebook page. That is DW Africa. Remember that also we have Africa Link is available on Spotify and other Apple products. And this is what is coming up. Cameroon's Christoph Wu was the player or the last player to score in an extraordinary period of stoppage time as Cameroon's indomitable Lions eventually defeated Gambia 3-2 to to step off and I'll exit from the AFCON. The coach, Rigobert Songo, was quite elated. 
Mais vous voyez même que j'ai plus de voix. J'ai plus de voix parce que c'est trop d'émotions. Well, you see, I have no voice, too many emotions. I am satisfied with the performance of my players. You wouldn't want to miss that. Mm -hmm. But first to South Africa, where a woman has told the harrowing story of her escape from Gaza. Zakira Chotia lived in the Palestinian territories for 27 years. And although she saw conflict, she says nothing compares to what she witnessed in the days following October 7. Uh, Zakia, like you mentioned, uh, she was evacuated from Gaza with her five children and now is trying to rebuild her life in Johannesburg. She calls for the world to do more to protect civilians in the Palestinian territories and believes she was lucky to have gotten out with all her children. DW's Diane Hawker visited Chatia at her home and sent this report. So I'm, I really think that we are fortunate that we actually got out. It's a miracle from God. Yeah. Because we saw a lot of things that we were not supposed to see. Zakira Chotia is able to reflect on her life in Gaza from the safety of her home in Johannesburg. She returned to South Africa in December after escaping with her children. The vibration of the sound of the missiles as it hit the ground, it cracked every part of the entire um all of the windows that was within the building, it cracked and it came like, like spikes around you. So if you were in the wrong position, it w you would be like um, really, really badly hurt. Chotia spent more than 25 years living in Gaza. She married a Palestinian man, raised a family and built a life there, teaching English and doing humanitarian work. But that life came to an abrupt end when Israel launched its war against Hamas in Gaza following their terror attacks on October 7th. We saw how the buildings were collapsing in front of our eyes. And as they were bombing, they were targeting an area like three minutes from our home. And as the kids and I watched from our balcony, we said, we can't, it's, really in, it's really coming close to us. This is not something that we can play with our lives. So we went into a primary school that we stayed for a week. Um, difficult circumstances, sleeping on the floor, highly densely populated, and everybody was screaming and in, in a lot of terror and rage. That was when she realized they had to leave. She turned to the South African embassy for help. The family traveled to Rafa on the border with Egypt. They waited for over a month before being allowed out of Gaza. When I passed the border and we got through that stage, I said, okay, this is really understanding and having faith in God. Because you're going into unknown stuff and you're putting yourself into unknown situations and you have the higher power of faith in God. That was my key, I think. But she can't help worry about those left behind, including her ex-husband. I hope that he can come out because uh, he trusted me to come with the children here to be safe. But I don't know who's going to be alive of their family. Chotia and her five children are now rebuilding their lives here. But she still thinks about the people in Gaza. They really need people that can really do their part in getting them a ceasefire that can hold. They need peace in their lives. They're tired of war. They didn't ask um, to be put in a situation where everything is taken away from them. 
Zakira Chotia ending there her story while she was speaking to our correspondent Dan Hoka. Let's now quickly move on to another story before we get to what most of you are waiting for, and that is Afghan. So, before that, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak suffered a setback to his plans to deport some asylum seekers to Rwanda after Parliament's upper house backed a largely symbolic motion to delay ratification of a treaty aimed at overcoming a legal block, and that was this week. Now, young Africans are undertaking perilous journeys across the world, fleeing their home countries for various reasons. Seeking a safe haven in Europe, the US, the UK, Canada and other destinations with no intention of returning to Africa, including Rwanda. But Rwanda has already established agreements with the UK regarding arrangements for hosting asylum seekers. So the question is, is this what young Africans want? DW's Isaac Kalechi in Accra had a debate with young Ghanaians. Sit back, relax and enjoy this debate. Thank you so much and welcome to Accra for this debate. We are talking about refugees or asylum seekers who the UK wants to send back to Africa and the country that they are being sent to is Rwanda. We want to find out uh, whether indeed Rwanda is the right place for them to be sent to. I'll be speaking to my panel members pretty soon. I'll be talking to Elvis Ajete, who is a migration uh, expert. Also here is Dr. Ayan Wuri, who is from Sierra Leone and currently based in Ghana. He is a scientist. And Samuel Brew, who is a university student. Let me start first with you, Dr. Worry, what do you make of the plan by the UK to send these asylum seekers back to Africa and to Rwanda? All right, so for me, I think Africans, um, it's time they will come back home and build Africa because um, we've seen what is going on. Um, U- uh, UK and Europe, that's their country. And I know it's, it's difficult for us in African countries, but it's only when we come back home and then we develop our country and make it better for us to live. So um, whichever country, whether you got Rwanda or whichever African country, Africans are coming back to, they're coming home. So I think it's a good thing. Samuel, what, what do you make of, of this plan? Do you agree with the points that have been raised by Dr. Wuri? Um, to be fairly honest, if the conditions under which they had to leave their country were so bad that they had to go to the UK and the facilities in the UK are not enough to accommodate all of them and they have to be relocated. To be fairly honest, I don't think Rwanda will be the best place for them, seeing as Rwanda is also a developing country and they themselves are also trying to manage the resources that they have. So to have extra people on top of that try and also use those resources would just be straining it too thin and I don't think that will be helpful for any of them. So you think that Rwanda is not the right place because of the opportunities there or because of other reasons? Mainly because of the opportunities there. It wouldn't really be as accessible to those who would be sent there as even those in the, the citizens themselves don't have that much access to the opportunities given to them in the country. Let me bring you in, um, Elvis. You are a researcher in migration. What's your take on this plan by um, the UK government? Well, I think it's a fantastic idea, but I don't agree with them because for a refugee um, who is um, seeking um, asylum outside the continent and out of their respective countries, um, their most important need is security and safety and not economic opportunities. Um, Let's ask ourselves, does Rwanda have 
the security we need for these refugees to resettle back into Africa? Yes, it does. And let's also think about their safety and ask the same question. So for me, I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, there is no reason why they should not be brought back to Rwanda and in fact back to Africa. And it talks about, you talk about safety, but the, the issue is that others have argued that Rwanda may not be safe for them because we know again the, the verdict by the West on Kagame and, and the system that is run in, in Rwanda. You, you disagree with, with those notions? Of course, you may have um, issues about uh, Kagame's um, democratic credentials as a leader, um, but come to think of it, will this affect? these refugees going there. Many thanks, Isaac Kalechi, for that uh, debate. And in case you want to listen to the full debate, you can go on our website, dw.com forward slash 77%. Yes, indeed, it's a detailed and uh, longer debate. We just cut a short snippet out of it. And I mean, we'd like also to hear your feedback about what you think about this particular story of the UK and other countries also mulling ideas of, of sending migrants or asylum seekers to Rwanda by going to our Facebook page, DW Africa. Africa Link. Sport. Welcome indeed to sports, an extraordinary second half and a frantic period of stoppage time saw Cameroon beat Gambia 3-2 to avoid an embarrassing early exit from the Africa Cup of Nations. Gambia were in contention for a place in the last 16 themselves after coming from behind to take a 2-1 lead. Mm, indeed, true, Jesse. There were crazy, crazy <laughs> last-minute action. By the way, Gambia equalized, but VER came to the rescue of Cameroon. In the last, almost last minute. But he used his hand now. Yeah, he used his hand, yes. <laughs> Luckily enough, there was VR, but the, according to footage mm. of the fans, I mean, they had been dejected. We saw people, like, you know, disappointed. But yes. then, thankfully, the, the VR was, was that rescue, mm. rescue them. But who was the happiest man of the day? I, I think, before we talk about coaches who have been resigning, one of them was going to be Cameron's coach, Rugobet Song. But, but Samuel Eto even shed tears. Yes, tears of joy. <laughs> but before we go into that, mm. let's listen to what Cameron's coach, Rugobet Song, said. Well, you see, I have no voice, too many emotions. I am satisfied with the performance of my players. I think I have said that in previous press conference. We do everything possible to get the three points. No comment how we played. It must be to get the points. It was done. It is not easy. The purpose is reached. It is not finished yet. Cameroon's coach Rigobert Songo there. Now Gambia coach also Tom St. Feet quit minutes after his side's elimination from the Cup of Nations uh, on Tuesday despite a sterling effort to try and secure a place in the last 16 at the expense of five-time winners Cameroon. The 50-year-old Belgian said his contract was running out in August but he would be happy to leave immediately. My team... I think I um, can be one of the most proud coaches in the world of a team who bounced back 
of a team who bounced back after such two difficult games, a difficult start, difficult preparation, and then today playing a great game. I think we deserve at least a point. We could have had the victory. But, um, yeah, I'm very proud as a coach. I'm disappointed in the result. And I would like to uh, announce also something. Um, this was my last match as national team coach of the Gambia. I uh, stepped down. I had still a contract till August 2026, but I stepped down as national team coach of the Gambia. I will be always for, I will be always Gambian. Yeah, he forfeit his. I mean, the remaining two years of his contract because if he would be sacked, they would have to pay him the balance. Yeah, According, I always think it's better for you to be a step ahead of them, right? Than that, to be sacked. That's the honorable way mm. of doing things because his CV, it doesn't taint his CV. Mm -hmm. Because the CV, is, if it says he was sacked by Gambia, it's different from him resigning, stepping aside. Mm. You know, well, Tanzania and the DRC face each other in their final AFCON Group F match. DRC have two points from their first two games with a win likely to guarantee an automatic progression uh, to the knockout stages. However, one good news coming in right now is that uh, Taifa Stars, Tanzania national football team, have been promised half a million dollars if they beat DRC Congo and go ahead. And this is what the coach Mbwana Samantha, rather Suleiman Hamedi, and Tanzania forward said before that promise was made. Yeah, we know uh, we are going to face uh, Congo. That's a final for us. Uh, but uh, yeah, we are fine. We try to solve some problems in the preview matches, and uh, we are ready to play. You know, it's hard games. It's not easy, but uh, we are here, so we try to do our best to make sure that we get positive results. I believe it's going to be a tough game because, as you look on our group, anyone can can proceed to the round of sixteen. So. Yeah, unfortunately, because of time, we have to leave it at that. Uh, my name is Isaac Mugabe. Until tomorrow, bye for now. And I'm Josie Mahachi. Until tomorrow, take care. DW. Made for Minds.